When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Codpost. Hello and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend rugby action or the West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts as well as lots of other sports related podcasts on the Sports Podcast Network. This week I am joined by uh, the Lensman. How you doing, Doug? Yeah, uh, you know. You know. Ben. Struggling to make ends meet, mate. Oh. Life on the road. Get yourself a Lexus. Ben, <laughs> nicest man in Cornish Rugby Podcast. How you doing, mate? Yeah, all right. That's good. Care yeah. to elaborate on that? Or not really? No, no. Okay. And uh, back this week, after after denying us last week, is uh, the Houseboy's favourite, uh, everyone's favourite farm vet, uh, Phil Elkins. Welcome back, Phil. Uh, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Unfortunately, one of the uh, the joys of having children and a and a wife who sometimes works late and does on call means that I can't make it every time. I could have just left them to wind themselves to sleep, but it wouldn't have made good listening for everyone else. I mean, they wouldn't. The listeners wouldn't have been able to hear that, would they? Esther, right. Esther Ransom, you've, might. You've met my kids. Uh, that's that's true. That's that is true. Um. I mean, there was some premiership this weekend, but we're not really bothered by that. Um, I've got something I wanted to say about the premiership, but we'll do that a bit later on. Uh, But let's start talking about some Six Nations action. We'll go through it chronologically because it seems like the sensible thing to do. Um, Douglas, you were in a a corner cam. About, well, I mean, are we allowed to say how many many deep you were by the time you got onto camera on Friday night? (laughs) I'd prefer you didn't. Okay, so I won't put a number on it. So uh, say that it wasn't just me. Okay, I mean, listen, I'm not one to cast aspersions. You were you in the corner, corner cam, usual yeah. position. Yeah. At uh, the Millennium Stadium or the principal, yeah. yeah, the Millennium Stadium, we'll call it that. Um, where 
France, or Wales versus France has always been, you know, the traditional Friday night game under lights, usually a bit of a spectacle. I actually thought it was a really terrible game of rugby. I mean, I don't know if any of you disagree with that. Um, I thought France was scrappy. I thought they pretty much turned up expecting to turn Wales over. Um, Wales put up a fairly decent fight, but I'm definitely not going to go overboard about the Welsh performance. Personally, I thought they were they were pretty average and France just did what they had to do to, to win the match, really. Um, from a stadium perspective, Doug, obviously there were a lot of a lot of empty seats. Was it a, was it a noticeably quieter evening? Yeah, it was like when they used to do the League Two playoff final there. <laughs> Just close the top tier. Yeah, essentially. I mean, both both ends, the top tier was practically empty. I mean, it was what uh, like eighteen percent empty. I guess I think literally eighteen percent empty. Um, uh, rugby uh, continues to want to destroy itself. Well, I mean, they put prices. I saw it was about 120 quid a ticket or about 100 quid a ticket, which is the cheapest was 115. Absolute madness. Yet, yet they blamed people for it being on telly on a Friday night for people not going. That's that's 115 quid for the ticket. The cheapest parking you'll get is in Sophia Gardens for 15 quid plus five pound a beer that they don't want you to drink anyway. Uh, it's, um, yeah, Welsh, Welsh rugby is going to Welsh rugby, right? Yeah. I mean, and when they're shit as well, it doesn't really help. Um, ben, I saw there were a couple of moments during the game. Um, Mr. Falatau was right up there again, even sort of his second game in uh, three weeks, considering he's not played for for quite a long time. Another decent performance from him. I think there was one point where he plucked the ball, he plucked the ball out of the air and it was in a bat line move and he had no no right to even catch it. And he just plucked it out of the air. Like it was, it was nothing. Um, A really welcome, uh, welcome back for, for Falatau. Well, yeah, I mean, he was, the, he was the best player on the pitch. Um, you know, there's no doubt in his talent, is there? He's just been sort of made of glass for about the last four years, which pretty much coincides with him being at Bath, which I think we've said before, there's something wrong with, with something at Bath that seems to make all their players injury prone. Um, you know, we probably don't need to... Um, go into too much detail about Falatau because you know everyone's seen him play at his best. But as well as as being a strong runner and a, and a you know having really good hands, he just does everything properly, does it well. Um, and I think you know it's almost the small things he does, like the way um, like the way he presents the ball when he's tackled and things like that that that's impressive as well as, as all the flashy stuff. Um, you know, it was, I can guarantee you Ben is the only person that's going to compliment Taolupe Falatau on the way he presents the ball. after. <laughs> well, I was going to say the France are very good at that as well. Um, they, they always went, or at least when they're playing well, the, the, the ball seems to be available a lot quicker and it's partly because of the way they're, 
putting it on the floor when they get tackled. But, you know, going back to um, Falatau just for a second, he, it, he was so good, but unfortunately he was about the only weapon Wales had. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think they could have played till Christmas and not scored a try. And, you know, we'll probably come have a similar um, point of view on England. But, um, yeah, it, they, they were quite blunt other than him. Um, I mean, I guess losing the scrum half so early didn't really help. Um, but I don't think... Um, I think for about 20 minutes, France looked like they were on it. And Dupont looked like he was going to sort of get free almost every time he got the ball. And then and then they just kind of folded in on themselves a little bit, like a, like a French side of old. Um, one player I thought did play pretty well was... Um, was the number six? I don't want to butcher his name. Ron. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Um, but you know, Wokey was quiet. Oldreek was quiet. I think he. Whoa, Wokey. So behave. He's a really <laughs> she, the left wing French Cameron Wokey. Oh, mate. You've upset Ben now. I'm um, gonna yeah. stop now. So I don't want to talk um, anymore. So Ben, <laughs> if you, if come, you think, come back to come back to me when I can talk about someone called Smith. If you think uh, <laughs> one of Falatau's real strengths is the way he presents the ball, you should come down and watch the under nines because they all know how to present the ball as well. But I'm not, not, I mean, I'm not, not saying that's his only strength. I was just saying he does it a lot better than a lot of other players. Well, but, I, uh, well I would I would argue playing for Wales and playing for Bath, he gets a lot more opportunity than most other players because he's the yeah, only person that tends to get his hands on the ball. Um, but there was, there's another similarity with the under nines with the way that Wales were playing. Their entire back line had no depth to it at all. Like every time, like, I'll be honest, I didn't watch the whole game. I was um, midway through a, through a little friendly poker tournament, but it was on in the background. But every time I looked up, the entire Welsh line looked like a defensive line when they had the ball. There was probably five metres between first receiver and winger in terms of depth. And I looked at it every time and I was like, are they just looking for a cross-field kick and waiting for the right opportunity? Is, is that their number one attacking weapon? Is they're just waiting for a cross-field kick opportunity? Because it doesn't work like that. You have to earn the right to, to make those cross-field kicks. Well, like, all they did was kick, I mean, both sides for large portions of the game. All they did was basically kick to each other. It was like it was almost like that autumn international England side um, from however many um, months ago, where they just every time they got the ball, they just kicked it straight down the field, thinking, "Well, somebody will make a mistake sooner rather than later." But we've we've said it all Six Nations when when talking about England that there needs to be some kind of element of jeopardy that you don't know what's going to happen when the team get the ball, and when you've got a ten that's got a couple of ball carriers either side and a back line that's entirely flat either it's going to one of those ball carriers to chuck it up the middle or he's kicking there's no there's no disguise there there's no skill there and it's yeah I, I don't know it's um I, I don't know what brand of rugby Pivak is wanting them to play well I think Wales at the moment are shit well they are shit and it feels like they are in you know, a number of months behind England in their shitness and England are still 
you know, relatively shit as far as game plan goes. I mean, we can come on to that in a minute. Um, as for France, they were just really sloppy, weren't they? It, it was just a do enough performance to get the result and get out of there. I was really uninspired by the French performance. I think maybe they've, they've set their standards so high that when they have a, an off day like they had, everyone's just a little bit more disappointed than they would be when they realise, oh, actually, it is just France. Is, I think Wales. Fair? I think Wales actually, although their attacking play was pretty blunt, they showed quite a lot of um, dog in that game. And I think with with France scoring so early, they might have just thought that they, like you say, they were going to blow them away at that point. Because up until their try, they were playing pretty well. Um, but it just kind of it became a bit um, almost sort of frenzied like it wasn't there was no sort of direction to France for quite a lot of that game um they just um yeah the, the, it went they were just through, kind of it, all trying their own thing a little bit yeah it went through some really odd stages didn't it the game like from absolutely nothing happening to them booting it at each other yeah to what could only be described as hot potato, where they were lit, where they were almost throwing the ball at each other because nobody. The word I was of it. The word I was desperately looking for then a minute ago was frantic. Yeah, France just got quite frantic at times, and and it showed. Um, you know, and from a strong start, that was probably not one of Dupont's best best performances, um, and. Like I say, some of the other big names who I'm not going to try and say also had sort of uh, slower matches than they have in the past. Yeah. One thing I will say is, and I'd like to question, and you know, people can comment or not as the case may be, is how in God's green earth is Matt Carley refereeing a Six Nations international match with Tom Foley on the TMO duty? I thought do you, he was. Do you want the simple answer? Well, yeah, if you want. No one, no one wants to be a referee. I mean, <laughs> there are plenty of them out That's... there, Phil, and there are yeah, plenty of them out there that aren't bad. Like Andrew Brace would have done a better, a better job of that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go as far to say Mike Adamson, but I just Matt Carley to me refereed that game at a pre. It, it was one of his poorer premiership level referee. Like he started off just giving free kicks away at the scrum without even, without even attempting a reset. It just started giving away, just giving free kicks as if to punish the teams. And then in the second half, just allowed reset after reset, you know, even after he'd set, set his stall out to, to say he wasn't having it. And it was just, I felt like it, it was weak. It was, you know, I'm not Matt Carley's biggest fan in the premiership. I'll be honest. And to see him referee in a six nations game before it even started, I thought he was, I thought he was the best part of wanky. But when you, when you look at the standard of refereeing in the premiership, there are two or three that are pretty good and two or three that are okay. And there's a lot of them that are pretty poor, really make far too many mistakes, don't 
aren't willing to make judgments by themselves, clearly don't understand what happens in the scrums, get run roughshod by the TMOs. Um, I, I just think the standard of refereeing globally is pretty pretty crap because nobody really wants to do it. And we've got the best of, of a load of people who don't really, who, who end up refereeing for something to do. You want you want the referee, in in my opinion, you want the referee to just be completely inconspicuous. You don't want you don't want to even know or see the referee. The referee makes his decision, and then you move on. Well, and this is this be... is a consequence of Nigel Owens and Wayne Barnes becoming personalities off the back of their refereeing. Is that we end up with this cohort coming through, who see refereeing as a way of developing a. A brand, brand being a star, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't look at refereeing generally. And okay, with the proviso that anybody who gives up their Saturday or their Sunday to go and referee games generally at a club level is doing it mostly out of the kindness of their heart because what they get paid barely covers, certainly doesn't cover their fuel at the moment. Um, and without them, the game would be dead. At a professional level, though, I just don't think the standard of refereeing is good enough for a professional sport. And I think I would suggest that that is not exclusive to rugby. Probably. probably You'll probably see a bit more of it coming through with football now. There's much more touch points between the viewers and, and ex-referees coming through that the referees are now thinking that, well, there'll be people coming through going, I could be the next whoever it is sat in the commentary booth, giving their refereeing. Yeah, but the, pro- the problem is that, and then people say, well, you know, we need more ex players refereeing. Well, they don't. I don't think that that's necessarily true because some of the ex players that I've seen referee are, are up there with, with the, you know, the worst the levels. Worst. Of, it's, it's just odd, isn't it? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's that. I mean, France, so France go into the, the final weekend um, uh, looking for a grand slam. Uh, Wales will play Italy. That's right, isn't it? Wales yeah. play Italy. But as as a result of France not dominating that game and getting a bonus point, they know that if they don't beat England, they don't win the Six Nations. Assuming Ireland win the last game, because Which Ireland is- got. Because Ireland have got four bonus points and France have only got two. So there's only two two points between them. Which is fairly mad considering how far above. I mean, you can can set, if you set Friday aside, how far above France have been than everyone else in the tournament so far. But what it does suggest to me is that France could be got at. Wales (laughs) frustrated them to a certain extent. And Ben, you mentioned a bit of Welsh, you know, Wales dog. They did frustrate them and they made, they slowed it down and they were allowed to slow it down and they were allowed to get away with slowing it down, which seemed to really impact the French. And if, if there's one way that England can beat France on, on Saturday night in Paris, it is to be utter bastards. And yeah, that's keep the, the ball. Yeah, the only way that we can, that, that England can do it is is by being utter bastards. But we'll we'll get on to we'll get on to England in in a minute. Um, 
the other game on on Saturday was, oh sorry, the game on Saturday early was Italy versus Scotland, and the more what I want to say, the more I watch Italy, the more I think you know there's there's got to be a better way, and even if that way is dropping it back to five nations because they quite literally are making up the numbers. And then every time I start to think that they put in a bit of a performance where you think that there's signs of life. I don't know what any of you thought, but there were times in that game on Saturday where I was actually quite impressed by Italy. And I don't know whether that was, you know, Scotland's shortcomings or whether Italy have, have, have happened upon some patterns and, and a couple of players. But, you know, the the great Italian uh, Montana Ioani is fantastic. <laughs> the um, the other great Italian, uh, where is he? Halafihi? 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 Easy for you to say. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going after it. I'm going to keep going until somebody... Uh, stops you. Stops me. Ben? Um, <laughs> yeah, Ben, do you want to correct me? Um. Lamaro, who I think is an excellent player, and they they ironically shipped all of their points, well, the majority of their points on Saturday while he was in the the blood bin. Um, And then they found this this lad off the bench who looks about 12 and about five stone ringing wet. It's the um, Capuzzo. Capuzzo? Have I got that right? He... he, We're not not helping you. No, you're not. You're just leaving me to drown out here. Um, he looked really good. He certainly knew where the try line was, and you know, fingers crossed, he'll be he'll be breaking people's ankles left, right, and centre for years to come because he he looked like he had something about him. So hopefully, they've got they're starting to get somewhere. You just don't know where they're going to win. I can't see Italy winning a game in the Six Nations. They've they've had strong under twenties for a while now, haven't they? And this is where these players are coming from. The you know the the skipper who, like, as you say, is a good player. Um, and, and the lad that came on at fullback, he could certainly finish. Um, and, you know, um, there's, there's a couple of others there that have come through from there. Um, it, you know, it's just, if they can stop shooting themselves in the foot, it will help. You know, that they, they, they put some good play together. Oh, yeah. Um, when, when the game was, you know, really in the balance and, and you thought they were going to score a try and then somehow through an interception and Scotland went up the other end and scored. Um, and I think, I think Scotland may, might have been a little bit responsible for their own downfall. I think the, was it the last try they scored or certainly toward, it was one of the last ones they scored where um, Price got the ball and it was almost like a sevens game where he kind of stopped yeah. and sized up the line and, and went. And I think after that, they, they kind of played such a loose game. It was almost like they decided to play sevens. And it, it just gave the Italians a bit of space in which to play. And, it, and they, you know, it, they weren't then forced into the mistakes that they sometimes do, which, which cost them. And I think they almost let Italy come onto them. And it, it, it just got their tails up and it got them back into the game. And they were never quite close enough that they were going to... Um, you know, win the game, um, but it de- definitely gave them a shot in the arm. And I think if, if Scotland had just closed the game down, you know, I think if they'd have been playing, um, if they'd have been playing, say, Wales or Ireland, 
um, and in that situation, I, I think they would have just, you know, gone back to sort of tin tax rugby and they'd have closed the game down. But I think they just kind of decided that they were going to have a bit of fun. And actually it was it, almost Italy that ended up having more fun than, than Scotland did. And, and, you know, they deserved a couple of tries at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, would, that's fair enough. Would this Italian side look completely different with Troncon? At scrum half, I I think they get let down by really poor decision making at nine. I didn't um, think Braley had a bad game, other than the interception. I thought he had a decent game, but it, yeah. but he has too many of those mistakes in him. He'll have two or three pretty shocking mistakes. Good, every good game, luck with but... that. Good luck with that, Doug. With what? Is he off, isn't he off to Northampton next year, Braley? Oh, uh, Braley. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Ever. Thanks, so. though. No. No. I problem. mean, I mean, actually, like looking at it, they've got like the um, the young lad that started the tournament at Hooker. He, he was pretty impressive. I think he dislocated his shoulder in the last game. You've got. Looks like they might have found a fullback. You've got Garbisi, who's, you know, quite highly rated at ten. Got a decent eight. So, so they've got a bit of a spine to that team now. Um, you've also got um, Paledri. If he comes back, you know, the same as, as before he was injured. Um, so that, that's always going to be a, a nice little addition to, to the team. Um, you know, real good ball carrier. So, oh, but, you know, it's, it's what we've been saying for years. You're right, Russ, like, there's always some green shoots, but then they manage to stamp on them themselves usually. Yeah. Yeah, they play the, their, way, their, their way out of it, don't they? Uh, okay, right. Well, that, that's kind of enough about them. Nobody really wants to listen to us talk about Italy, Scotland, do they? Um, the reason people are cho- tuning in uh, is to hear about us talk uh, about uh, England versus Ireland, where, you know, the the level of rugby Twitter since since Saturday afternoon at approximately two minutes past no not two minutes past three that's pretty old school what was it sixteen forty seven ish at which time Charlie Yule's got sent off um, a lot of positive words have been spoken about about England's performance a lot of um, a lot of positives about the dog and the fight and the determination and the the heart and all of those buzzwords people use to show bravery in defeat. The fact of the matter is that it was a record defeat at home against Ireland, which I believe somebody predicted um, on last week's podcast. Yeah, uh, the, the the best looking one, right? Well, the shortest one. Of, of the three that were there. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's not an award I'd be claiming. <laughs> um, yeah, so the fact of the matter is England had a record defeat at home to Ireland. It was glossed a little bit, should we say, by those two late tries, which you could say were were undeserved given the balance of the game. But equally, you know, 
Ireland did have that that extra man. Um, we could talk about uh, Reynal. It was Reynal, wasn't it? Who mm-hmm. referees the game in a strange way for both teams. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna go down a a Reynal hating thing. Um, but what I will, you know, what I wanted to say ahead of talking about the actual. Um, you know, the intricacies of the game is that the amount of people I've seen that say, oh, blame the referee. You can't blame the referee. It was a red card. I haven't seen, you know, I I haven't seen one person actually blame the referee. The referee was following the the guidelines that World Rugby have set him. Referee couldn't have done anything other than what he did, which which sent sent Charlie Yules off. The biggest issue here is that two minutes into an international Six Nations match, the game as a contest was absolutely ruined. And for 20 minutes after that, it looked like England were going to ship 50 at least. But the, the game as a contest wasn't ruined because at one stage, quite a long way through, the scores were even. Now, the scores were even because Ireland were, were um, very inaccurate in particular when they got anywhere near the England try line. And the England defence was phenomenal, but all of that, all of that rhetoric you were talking about earlier, Russ, it all pretty much relates to, to the forwards. Gendra was immense. George was pretty good. Laws was, Laws was immense. Itoje was phenomenal. Um, and I'm going to throw Jack Nolan as a forward for the for the sake of this conversation. Um, but the, to me, the only thing that, that if you're going to criticise right now, the only thing that you can really criticise him about was the fact that. He put what Genge had Furlong absolutely on toast the entire time. He didn't do what happens too often, which is scrums go down, too many scrum penalties. I'm going to yellow card the prop because they're the one that's there in front of me, which we've all said that we don't particularly like happening. But he didn't allow any advantage. He put his arm out, balls at eight, scrum half's about to pick it up, and he blew his whistle for a penalty. That'd be the only thing I would criticize him for. He, he has no option but to give a red card. Um, and yeah, there's a that that dog, that fight, that backs against your wall spirit that came out through the forwards in particular, just hid the fact that once again, we had no idea in attack, no penetration, no, just nothing. Just we relied on kicks and kick chases, which went better than they have done for ages. Otherwise, we would have been twenty odd points down by half time. When was the last time you actually saw England attack well, stroke properly, stroke, you know, as a cohesive unit? World Cup semi final. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll take that. Any other any advances? I think the game. The game against Wales that Tuolagi got sent off in, in the last minute. I think the first half they played pretty well, um, but that's still a long time ago, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit like Wales. They, they could have played a long time without scoring. Um, you know, what you said about Noel is, is absolutely true. He had a fantastic match. And you would say, I think Marchant played pretty well I saw. in defence. So Jack Noll in the rugby pass ratings got 
I think a six out of ten. Shut up. It was a six or a seven. I can't remember what it is. It was just like, what the, what the fuck is the matter with the, these people? I saw in one thing, Charlie Yule's got seven out of ten. Got four out of ten. Are you going to say seven out So I, for, for the 82 seconds he was on the pitch, where he wouldn't have got anywhere near the ball, he got four, which was ironically two less than what Tom Curry got. JB pointed that out on, on Twitter. It just doesn't make any sense. It, I think the injury to Curry actually did England some good, not not because specifically Curry went off, but it just put enough of a break in the game that they could kind of organise themselves well, a little bit. It did, but it also forced Eddie Jones's hand, didn't it? And if anybody could not see that having Courtney Laws and Maro Atoje in the scrum together wouldn't work or, you know, shouldn't work... I don't know what game you're watching, but yeah, you know, the the whole premise of having Courtney Laws on the pitch, who is probably one of the best locks in the world, um, but play him at six, where you know he's very good, but you wouldn't put him in the best sixes in the world, would you? No, and it, it certainly didn't do the scrum any harm. Absolutely, which is you know you met your one of your main um, jobs well, as a lock. It, it means I take back everything I said about Charlie Eels and maybe he's really good in the tight because um, that's the best England scrummaging performance yeah. that has been for years with Laws behind Genge. Yeah. So, yeah, stick stick Laws in there I, all the time and, and play a proper back row. I mean, but, I mean, I think I think that was England's best performance for a long time. E- really? Even, the, in, even without in the attacking... Way, in a way. Without the ball, I would agree entirely. I think it yeah, was the kind of performance it was because the crowd really got behind it as well. It was, it was the kind of performance that uh, I think rugby fans like to see in that, that, like you say, it was backs to the wall and like every single kick chase was done properly. And, 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 and every single, not every single tackle, but you know, big tackles were made. There was, there was one point where um, it was, it was this, it was the bit of play where um, Jamie George, sort of broke up an attack almost under the under the posts. And there was about four or five really good hits in that section of play that stopped to try. Um, and and just to, you know, I think you called a Toe Jay immense and I think you probably undersold him because it, it, there were two of him on that pitch, I'm sure of it. He was fantastic. Yeah, I, I think he was lucky not to get Simmond at one point, but because um, I think he got it wrong too close to the line. That was um, the, that. But, see, that was where they they went eighteen fifteen up, wasn't it? And yeah, I think he, he, what he did there is he, he he stopped a certain try. Yeah, he went for the the arm of Gibson. Was it Murray at that point? No, it was but, still Gibson Park. Gibson Park. Yeah. He went for the arm rather than the ball. But with, but he went before the ball was lifted. Yeah, I think he just decided three was better than seven there. Yeah, and it was, hope, it was and a, hope I get away with it. It'd been yeah, alright if he had a white arm because nobody yeah, would have known who it was. <laughs> it, it, it was a it was a definite penalty, which was unfortunate because the ball ended up getting thrown straight to Stewart, didn't it? Um, but you know, it was a penalty, and you know, you're probably right. Philly might in a, on another day he might have got a yellow card, but he was probably also probably summing up that maybe the ref might be a bit shy of another yellow card. Yeah, with uh, with the red card and. And but as a as a country, though, we shouldn't be as a rugby playing nation. We shouldn't be thinking this is one of our best performances because I, we've put in some huge tackles close to our line, 
because we've allowed them to get in our 22 so many times and and we we've managed to keep them out i think, I think we, we does, need to aspire to more than that I, I, I think as, it as, does show a, a kind of truth though in that we shouldn't try to be too clever i think you know there's there's this talk of the sort of positionless attack at the moment which is maybe why he's playing so many sort of utility backs but actually when we just ramped out we got the right pack out there and turned them up to 11 and suddenly we were competitive again yeah. so so what we've been saying for weeks i think is the way forward just find yourself an, an attacking pivot in the backs that will just make a bit of ground and then then you've got a bit of go forward ball that you can use the forwards off and then once the play's broken up then smith can actually get in there and and find some gaps rather than trying to pick gaps off a first phase doesn't because well, yeah, we're we're not getting the best out of Smith because we're yeah. not giving him the opportunities. Um, we're not getting the best out of our back line. I didn't think Randall was. I think he made a couple of poor judgments. But other than um, other than bringing Youngs on for Randall, which I think was the right thing to do at the time, and the enforced substitutions, every substitution we made made us worse. Yeah, it just showed a complete lack of. I mean, taking Dombrant off, I I like Launchbury a lot, but taking Dombrant off for Launchbury didn't work. Taking Genge off when he's got furlong, I'm absolutely on toast. For Marla, who nearly gave away a penalty within a second of coming on, and did give one away about a minute later, like you're in the referee's head that Genge's got the winning of that scrum every time. You don't change your, your prop at that time. You let him keep on dominating. Even if all he's doing, like I get that he was out on his ass, but even if all he's doing is going to the scrums and winning you a penalty every time, that's better than switching it up. Like it, it was just, it was it classic changed, Eddie Jones cocking things up. It? Changes the narrative when you, when you change the front row. Yeah. Teams often change the front row when they're getting marmalised in the scrum to, yeah. to, to change the referee's but, mind. There was um there was a great camera angle um on uh, it was for one of England's penalties where uh there was a high ball put up for Keenan who was who was really good Keenan was mm-hmm. really good um and um Stewart was chasing it and um the camera was locked onto Stewart's face as he was running. And Stewart did not look at the ball once. He just kept running through and just caught Keenan as he as he hit the ground. And um, I, I think just for the just for the interest of it, you know, that they a player as good in the air as Stewart wasn't even looking to catch it. They were just trying to hit him as soon as he caught the ball. Um, it was it was just an interesting view, I thought. But um, you know, I think to be to be fair to Ireland, um, you know, they took advantage of in the first 20 minutes, scored a couple of tries early, you know, well, England were still a bit ragged. And then well, we were, we were a shamble. Like yeah. at first, I mean, when low went low went in after five minutes, just watching it now and nobody laid a glove on him from basically the halfway line. There was two no. passes and the England defense was nowhere. And I think we were, we were very much on the ropes at that point. Yeah, they were they were punch drunk at that point, and I think, um, you know, 
it was a, a mixture of England sort of hauling themselves back into it and, and Ireland got a little bit sloppy, like Phil said. And then with Murray coming on, I don't know if it was a, a little bit of a coincidence as England tired or, you know, if it was his, his influence. Um, but, you know, they, once they managed to string a lot of phases together again, that's when England being a man down, it was almost slightly reminiscent of when uh, Young's. Well, I, I, this, I say it pains me to say it a little bit. Is when uh, Eddie brought Young's on for Randall against Wales, yeah. where it started to get a little bit ragged, and he just went, "Whoa, hold on a minute, let's settle it down, let's keep the ball, let's do the right things, and then we'll go from there." They also brought yeah. Conan on, yeah, who, who, and Henshaw as well at the same yeah. time. I thought it made a difference. It, it, it was just they 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 went back to their sort of plan A of just of of just keeping the, the phases coming and coming coming and 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 that's when you could see England had fourteen players because they actually defended pretty well they just ran out of players yeah um you know and and it was an impossible tackle to make on um Conan you know when he took that line to go over um so I think it was always going to happen. Um, but I, you know, it was, it was encouraging to be 15 all with an hour gone. But as, as I say, I think it's, it was hiding the fact, the scoreline and the work rate and effort was hiding the fact that I don't, think, more utterly we were, yeah, I don't think we were very good. Yeah. We haven't no. been good. All, we haven't been good all year though. Why? No, well, no, I, know. Yeah. All, I think we've lost is... sight of that. We, we, you know, be, I don't know when it when it became a success for England not to get humped. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Like we've what have we done? We've lost to an average Scotland side. We've beaten a crap Wales side. We've unimpressed against Italy, and we've tried really hard against an Ireland side who are on a bit well, of an upwards trajectory. I yeah, I, I mean. I, I suppose I'm coming across as the most upbeat here. I've not put in a lot of this down to Eddie Jones at all. I just think that the um, the it was. I guess it was almost like that, that they had no option. They they didn't have to think about attacking plans or think about what they were going to do. They, their one option was just to scrap as hard as they could, and and they've got good players to be able to do that. You know. The, the players that we've said that took the game a little bit by the scruff of the neck, that's their, that's their forte. You know, Atoje is just a menace and, and, and Genge on his day is, is, is the same. So it was perhaps the fact that they didn't have to think they only had one possible game plan was yes. actually playing in, the, in their favour. See, there was one time, I think it was in the second half, where I took the ball left a couple of times, hit it up hard a couple of times to the left, um, I think it was might have been off a scrum or or off a liner that kept on going that way, and then we brought it back. There was a bit of not very well um, choreographed, but a bit of decoy in the midfield, and then the ball came out the back. I think from Slade to Marchant running an outside arc, got outside his man, put Simmons one on one with Low, ran over the top of him. We made about forty fifty yards, and you go if you can do that with fourteen men. Why, why can't we do it with 15? And why do we only do it once a bloody game? Yeah, that why was the we... nearest we came to scoring, wasn't it? 
why do we only once again think let's drag the defence one way, make some gaps and then take advantage of those gaps? It's, I, I, I can't, I can't honestly blame the players. I think it's 100% down to coaching. And scheming and, and game plans. Because he, he hadn't been picking um, Sam Simmons for that very reason. Yeah. And what happens when he gets an, a, an opportunity? He runs over the top of somebody and makes an extra 20, 30 yards. There's a little pop inside to, some, to someone else and kept going. It's the only time that we looked exciting with the ball but we haven't looked exciting for the ball for the with the for the whole tournament i mean i was trying to think back even in the autumn when we beat south africa we didn't look particularly exciting with the ball for the first five minutes versus south africa when Tuolangi scored and then went off we looked all right and i don't want this to i don't want this to boil down to a a manitou langi thing but it's um, it's it, hard it to is. well it kind of is but it's hard to understand where where England believe they're going to score their tries because they've got they've they've got to be looking they said right okay well this is this is how we're going to scheme the game because this is how we think we're going to score tries and I, I genuinely believe at the moment that England don't think that they can score tries so they've got to play a, a territory type game and hope that teams give away penalties and that's and that's their that's their strategy, which you know that isn't going to work at the top level. Just it just isn't. It's a pretty shit strategy. It is a pretty shit strategy. It's a pretty that's negative strategy. Um, well, I think I think we should all understand that we're a pretty shit team at the moment. Yes, I mean that is that's a, a pretty shit assessment. team of pretty good players. Yeah, and that that is even more frustrating. I'd rather I'd rather be an inspiring shit team than a really uninspiring shit team, though. And I know you said this before. You really, Doug, you've not really don't enjoy watching England play at the moment, or you haven't enjoyed watching England play because it is really uninspiring. Yes, yeah, just um, <clears throat> just completely devoid of any joy or fun or um. Well, just, just 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 devoid of anything that might actually brighten your day up. <laughs> you know, the, the rugby's terrible. The rugby's terrible. The coaching's terrible. The interviews are terrible. The kit's terrible at the moment. It, it's just um, it's a bad time to be an England fan. Well, it's a bad Eddie, time. Eddie Jones coming out today saying that it's probably. I don't think it helps being Australian when he gets asked about questions of future. No, no, Eddie, it doesn't help being a cunt. Exactly. Don't turn it into a racism thing. Oh, mate. You're just shit at your job. Oh, come on, mate. Mate, mate. It's just a fucking egg. Honestly, I've got no patience with him. Some interesting interpretations of the laws by uh, Mr. Raynal. I will put out, point out one thing that uh, Chris Jones pointed out on Twitter, which was uh, so at one point during the second half where he called a mall and then told it to release after about six seconds. Did you, did you pick up on that? It was an actual mall. And then he went, tackle a release. Mm, no, I mate, th- it's a mall. I, th- I thought that was a, a, a slight, language interpretation because I, I heard it when it happened and I thought he, he'd said no more but 
Well, do you yeah. know? Do, I mean, I don't think I've As ever in, heard a ref say no, no more. Well, I think no, because the I think the Irish players were going, "It's a mall, it's a mall," and he said, "No more tackler release." Mm. That was my interpretation. I but don't know. Chris might be right, and he might be a weapon. <laughs> well, Chris is a weapon. We know that. Well, yeah, we know that a bit. But yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing, you know, so obviously James Ryan went off after 82 seconds as well for his head injury assessment and, and never returned. A lot of Ireland fans saying that they were robbed of one of their best players who would have had a massive impact anyway throughout the, the game. Irish fans are dicks. Can I just get that out there? They're dicks. Yeah. What are they? Dicks. Dicks, okay. Absolute dicks. But it sort of leads me on to a wider point about player behaviours. Doug, I know you've got some thoughts and uh, stuff you want to say maybe about changing behaviours. Um, but expect, expecting six foot five guy, yeah, all right, he, he could have bent at the knees. Yeah, he could have bent at the waist, whatever. James Ryan was running a shielding um, a shielding blocking line to allow Sexton to get around the outside. Um, for those of you that watch the Wales game and watch Thomas Williams literally, well, no, not literally, I take that back, almost have his head taken clean off his shoulders by uh, one of the French players' knees trying to go low. In... Uh, a side-by-side picture tweet. There was one, per- I can't remember who it was, but there was a person who um, was querying Luke Cowan-Dickey's uh, chop tackle technique, saying he's going to get seriously injured uh, by going too low, whilst simultaneously <laughs> telling people they're going too high. Um, and just the amount of people that ca- seem to care so fucking much about other people's welfare. Like what, just why, why? And and these people profess to be rugby fans and they want to make it safer. They want to, yeah, we're going to make it safer for everyone. I don't want you to make it safer for me. I tell you what, I don't even want you to make it safer for my six-year-old son. Because if he chooses to play rugby for the rest of his life, then sometimes he might get hit on the head or sometimes he might not, but that is rugby. Right. Yes, he can try and tackle better. Yes, we can try and, you know, educate the children as we are moving through the the ranks and, and coach them properly to a point where they, they try their best to tackle. But when people are moving at such pace, even even it you'll probably see it in under nine. So even even it that le- like people, they're still changing direction quickly. You're still going to get bangs to the head. And until like until all of that stops. None of this will stop. And the only way him, to stop it is rugby. Stop rugby. Just stop it. I have a guess how many bangs to the heads we've had so far in the under nines this season. I mean, if you're going to tell me none, I'm going to turn this podcast off right now. Well, turn it off. We haven't had a single one. I've not had a single one. I mean, yeah, under nines don't play contact rugby though, do they? Yeah, they do. They play There's full two. contact rugby. Full contact rugby. Yeah. I haven't had a single knock to the head. So, so... Well, yeah, the but, um, I'm Phil. I've not a yeah. single. And, Char- and you're Charlie, that's, you're, you're saying that's purely down to a really good tackle technique, are you? Yeah. So you're saying your under nines have got better tackle technique than the international rugby players. So I, 
I read something that I don't necessarily believe in, um, but I read somebody had said somewhere that they think part of the issue is that um, because of the mall rules, that if you hold somebody up, you get the ball. Players are targeting the ball and trying to hold it up. I don't think that's what happened here, and I don't think that's the reason that it happened. Charlie Yules didn't bend at all. James Ryan is straight upright. And yes, the interpretation of the laws have changed the, from what they were four or five years ago, but he didn't bend in the slightest. And if you don't bend in the slightest, your head is always going to be at the other person's head height. Um, and yeah, all of our under nines bend when they tackle and their heads are... Oh, they should play for England well, then, Phil. Well, no, I, I, no. I, I think, it's... mate, I think you're, you're conf- like under nines, mate, aren't going to be knocking each other out with head knocks. They're going to bang heads, but they're not going to get, they're not going to get knocked unconscious. It's a simple mass times acceleration thing. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't hit like the, thinner, it's not the same. Skulls. It's apples and oranges, mate. It's, it's, it is and it isn't. No, it, no it, it absolutely is apples and oranges. You it's cannot not, compare an under nines rugby team and their tackle technique to professional rugby. You just can't do it, mate. Well, it's like saying I play a, the same a, golf. I, I play the same sport as the golfers that are playing at Sawgrass at the moment. We a Russ was club, Russ was the, the one making sport. the comparison. Um, I, I, asked Russ the, was the one, I asked the question. Russ is the one who asked the question. Yeah. But the the point is, why do, there's no reason for Charlie Yules not to bend at the waist. There's absolutely no reason for him not to at all well, if, if, he's, he, if he's going in to make but, that tackle. But then there's no if reason he's not, for James Ryan to be in front of the ball carrier when he was crossing. If he hadn't have been there, he wouldn't have got hit in the head. Yeah, you're right. That is crossing. He shouldn't have passed the ball that way, and, and it is crossing. But equally, why why is Charlie Yules not bent? As as Ben said beforehand, it's I mean, it's a bit personal. At the waist or at the knees? As Ben said before, pre-podcast, is it just that he's thick and he hasn't and he can't can't do it? There are far fewer head-to-head knocks than there were. Phil, five five years. I, I'm pretty sure it's, what's it's happened in this one. Rugby's fucking hard. Yeah, I, I think what's happened in this one situation that that we we started to talk about in this it, you know with Yules is Ryan had the ball and he releases the ball and Yules has kind of just reacted to the ball leaving the guy he's going to tackle his hands and kind of almost deer in the headlights a little bit. Oh, the ball's gone. Uh, and it, he's kind of started, uh, you know, he's not, he's almost like frozen in place and it, it's led to the head knock. Like Russ said at the beginning, Raynal's got no choice. He's got to send him off because that's the way the laws are. Now, personally, I think the laws are, are, are sort of treating an accident the same as a deliberate piece of foul play. I don't think that's right, so, but I, I, we've lost that argument. So, so you know, I, it's going to keep happening. I don't disagree with you in some regards, but there has to be some kind of um, personal responsibility to, to reduce that risk. Um, oh, so, no, 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 let me finish. Let me finish, Doug. We've, we've seen red cards where somebody's been being tackled and somebody else has gone into tackle at an appropriate height, and the player's moved to change direction. Head is now at nipple height, which is where the player's going in, and said that's wrong. That's an accident that's caused as a as a rugby incident. All I'm saying is, just bend. 
just bend and that doesn't happen. I, uh, I'm, it's I'm, not Sonny no, Bill I'm Williams sure leading with a shoulder Yules, at someone's head. I'm sure Charlie Yules, you know, multiple England caps international, probably didn't think, do you know what I should do here? I should bend. No, but... It's a nonsense we, It's We're not sitting here it. treating it like... You're sitting here talking like an international rugby player has thought, do you know what I'm going to do here? I'm going to stand up and hit this guy in the nut. It's, like, it's ludicrous, Phil. We're treating these people, people as if they that. as if they're automatons. They're not. They're not fucking robots. They make mistakes. And you're treating a mistake the same as if somebody tried to rip somebody's eyeball out of their head because they get punished exactly the same. The team gets punished exactly the same. The sanction on the player may not be exactly the same. That, that on, the day, the, on the on day, on the day, yes, it gets treated exactly the same. And yes, we've discussed whether there should be a different sanction between some something that's accidental and something that's deliberate. Yeah, I, I totally buy into that. What I don't buy into is going, these guys are professional rugby players and, and they take the risk that they're going to spend 30 years as a vegetable as a result. And, and that's that. The game has what a responsibility do. to make it safe. Why? Why? In the same way that when Ayrton Senna died, they've made changes to Formula One cars. So, to but they but my dying. So Phil, fundamentally, the, the game is the same. Fundamentally, Formula One racing is blokes sitting in projectiles launching themselves around the track. Yeah. Rugby is fundamentally different because of the changes they've made to protect something that really isn't that much of a problem. Is it? Is it fundamentally different? Yes. Is it? It's unwatchable what, because Phil. products because unwatchable. People, because people have to tackle low. It's not because they have to do anything. Like because the punishment for for not tackling highs or the punishment for tackling highs, you get sent off. That's that's always been the punishment for a dangerous tackle. All they've done is they've changed the the decision making framework around what's dangerous. Oh, and and sometimes they get making frameworks. Jesus. Sometimes they get it wrong, and sometimes they get they get it right. I'm just saying, actually. If the game doesn't take some responsibility for the welfare of people playing it, it right, it's okay. Fucked. So, so it's can fucked. I ask the question? Can I ask the question then? Because rugby has existed at an, a high amateur level. Sorry, rugby existed at a very high amateur level where people were smashing into each other after 20 points on a Friday night and still playing a very good standard it's since become professional where people are uh, athletes and they're but they're they're still as strong they may be fitter and can do it for longer but they're still as strong so that risk has always existed all of this and 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 i'm loath to say bullshit all of this are you know vegetable for 30 years for what to, to use your phrase right yeah how many of those have there actually been? When you equate, it's like it's like. Well, looking, if you say, if you say, if one person is, has done right. that, is too many. I'm going to shoot myself in the face. <laughs> it's like it's, it's the equivalent, mate. It's the equivalent of one person in a fucking county getting COVID and everybody going into lockdown. The amount of people that have played rugby over the years that have all taken a knowledge calculated risk to set foot on that pitch 99.999% of those people have come off completely unscathed and are normal living functioning human beings right 
the 0.001% that have had terrible injuries, right? Don't get me wrong. The net breaks, the, 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 the repeated concussions, all of that sort of stuff is a tiny, tiny percentage of all the people that have ever played rugby. And that's what really gets me. And it's the people that want to drastically change the way the game is played to protect, to protect the people that they don't really give a fuck about. And everybody going, oh, player welfare, literally cocks in hand going, player welfare, we've got to look after them, circle wanking each other and pokey bum just until they will all listen. And actually, the people who enjoy rugby, the people that really want to watch rugby could not give a fuck. When I play for Hornets, I have to pay £5 for the privilege, for the chance that I might get my head taken clean off my shoulders. I'm all right with that because I know as soon as I step over that whitewash, the risk that I'm putting myself into, if I didn't want to take that risk, I wouldn't play the game. The professionals, right? They take that risk every week. They go to train, they put themselves on the line and they get paid fucking handsomely for it. So why is everybody caring so fucking much about whether or not they get a knock to the head three times in a week? Sam Underhill, George North, head like marshmallows, right? Doesn't matter. They don't seem to care about it because they go out and do it again. So why is Johnny on the street or Josh Gardner or Sam Glana caring so much about them? Dr. Alison Pollock, fuck off. All of these people, self-righteous cunts who think that they care more about other people than what they care about themselves. That's the end of right. that little rant. Sorry. Okay. I, gotta, I gotta follow that, haven't I? Um, yeah, yeah, you do. Right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there that I, I broadly agree with Phil. Um, and I think with your five pound Russ, I think yeah, you're willing to risk the head injury, the head injury, but you're also you do have some kind of expectation that that there is some you know, there are rules that will keep you safe in that game. Yeah, but when those rules are all, those rules but those rules but, have been the same but, since but, we were 12 but, years old Ben. What what I think has happened Russ to you in particular is you've been radicalized by Twitter. I haven't been <laughs> radicalized by anybody. Because, I'm going to I'm going to have to log off this in a minute because I'm getting ready. <laughs> Because, <laughs> because I think I think I think the particularly obnoxious um, safety warriors on Twitter have wound you up to such a degree of fury that you te- you've 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 put yourself into some views that you probably but don't ben, really mean. Ben, no, I I mean every single one of them. And you know what? I had some guy try to tell me the other day that the reason rugby needs to change is because oh well, it will become uninsurable. Uninsurable. Well, let, let me tell you all what, the let, way off. Let me tell you what I think before Doug Doug spontaneously combusts. I I think that it is important that the players are kept safe. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that by any means that what they're doing at the moment is really going to work because you, with Yules, Yules has at no point gone. What I want to do is tackle this guy with my face. <laughs> so, so only how, Burger did that. How do you modify? How do you <laughs> modify Burger, you his behaviour? I mean. Yeah, 
how do you modify his behavior? His behavior isn't, I want to, I want to use my teeth to tackle this guy. It's, I want to make a tackle and I've just got this completely wrong. It, it's like penalizing Frank Spencer. Um, and, and, and you just, so, so d- does sending someone off make a lot of difference to what he's going to do in the future? I don't think it does because he's just got lost basically on the pitch just for, you know, for that split second. Um, you know, and I think the, 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 the red cards and yellow cards are just a fig leaf and you, you could probably all say it with me, but you know, if they really cared, if the people with the money really cared about player safety, they'd just play less games. So that so isn't going to happen. They're putting, they're, they're, um, they're putting the long-term viability of the game at risk because they want to keep playing the same amount of games. Not the players. They're putting the long-term viability of this game because the product at the moment is absolutely unwatchable. So you struggle through every single game you watch with fucking TMO interventions and fucking red cards and, you know, commentators talking in like they're fucking solicitors about litigation and frameworks. But I don't want to watch rugby and have a 15 minute chat about fucking frameworks. I, We've discussed it before where, where some of these things are clearly not intentional and let's and let me be perfectly clear i care more about people charging into a ruck shoulder first aiming at somebody's face than i do what charlie yules did um for those where it's clearly not intentional we've we've said multiple times that something like the rugby league report system is far better where you can just look at things in retrospect and go what's a suitable punishment and as an extension of what ben said yes play less rugby but also if you get sparked out like Thomas Williams did or like George North did when he ran into the post, playing six days later is probably not good for you. Yeah. Like, let's... Well, they have independent doctors that decide whether they can or cannot, and that is not up for Twitter to decide. Correct. But let, let's... Let, let's I, I'm just expressing... Let's also, let's also make this clear, is that world rugby do not give a fuck about the players world rugby and the various leagues and the various sponsors and the various unions only give a fuck about making money. The players are sued. Not the the players are expendable. Every single player is expendable. You're hundred percent right. The motivations around this are not right, but the, 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 I suppose the, the key point I wanted to make is actually, I kind of care if people get knocked out multiple times. Oh, grow oh, up, yeah. Phil. I kind oh, of do. Like, fuck me. I don't care if and that's, and Sam that's Underhill fine. or George North or Tom Curry. Just wheel them off and get another one in. There's always another body. That, exactly. It like, it, it has no impact on my life. It has no impact on anything that I'm doing, right? They, if, if it were me having concussion after concussion for playing rugby every week. And I decided, you know what? I'm still going to, I'm still going to do it because I love it. Crack on Russ. No problem. Right. You, you take the risk, you pay your money, you take your choice. Right. It's a short career. These guys, they're making a lot of money. And if they have to retire, well, so be it. 
Right, and, that makes and, I'm, no... and I'm not convinced those independent doctors care really about player welfare. Uh, that would be against that. Would that not yeah, be against they, the Hippocratic they oath? Hippocratic oath, which means they've got to be Phil. Because no doctor's ever gone against. No, but you know, uh, if you're saying that every single doctor that's involved, oh, no, I'm not saying. I'm not saying every. Miles, I'm not right, saying yeah. every single one is. I think it'd be really interesting to look at return times post concussion between different doctors. I can think of about 10 million things that would be more interesting than that. Yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a medically trained scientist. That kind of stuff interests me. Oh, but, but it boils back down to my original point, which was fucking Karen on Twitter telling people that they need to be saving themselves, save these guys. Like, these they're, guys like, themselves. Like, like they're some kind of fucking evangelist. That is trying to save save someone from going over to the dark side. They're not playing rugby because the reason they're playing rugby is because one, at that level, they're getting paid a fucking shit ton of money for it. Two, they probably quite enjoy it. And three, they're probably bastards. Yeah. You gotta be a bastard to play professional rugby, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, not not not, not a literal not a yeah. literal bastard. Not a literal, you know, not like um Ellis Snow. <laughs> but um but yeah, I I'm just I'm just so sick of this whole conversation. It just drives me mad. Like can we just can we just have a you know any single scoring play that we don't have to go back five tackles to have a look whether or not somebody might have hit somebody in a ruck slightly badly. Can we not just can we not just watch a bit of rugby and enjoy it and not have to have this debate constantly? I'm not entirely sure it's possible anymore. DRS I, DRS I think, TMO TMO doesn't get involved unless the the opposing team says I'm gonna DRS that. I do think there are and people again, that are desperate for a red card in every match. Yeah. Without Just a desperate. shadow. Oh, yeah, and those, and those people are cunts. There's no two ways about it. Because they're trying to support a narrative. They're trying to push their, push their own agenda. How many red cards were there this weekend? There's like five, four. right? There's four. There's at least and, four. Might yeah. And to me, that suggests that they've got the... They got it wrong. They've got got it wrong. wrong. They've they've got the entry point for a red card wrong. Because as I said, it should be, you know, who was the fella that filled Ronan O'Gara in in, on the Australia Lions tour? Uh, Yeah, McRae. That's a red card in rugby. That is a a stone cold. Borderline. That guy has to leave the field. Borderline. Somebody running into something. Because there are some red cards where it's like they've run into each other and and, and it's like, how can you possibly call that a, a, an offence that warrants someone being sent off? It's the the entry point is too low, and people are looking for it. The referees are looking for it. Commentators are wishing it. Austin Healy does it every week. You know, every single week he'll he'll do one of those. That's got to be a red card. That's for me. That's a yellow card. You know, can't. I would I would suggest that we've we've probably had this debate on this podcast probably a dozen times going back five or six years. And if they haven't learned to change their behaviors after the amount of time they've been given to do this, they're not going to. 
Charlie Yours's red card was not about changing behavior. That was about just getting it wrong. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how long we keep wanking on about changing behaviors, people are still going to get it wrong. I think I think a good a good example is the the tip tackle. How long ago was that that they started to get rid, rid of that? Was it eight, yeah, but wait, eight years? Tip, nine tip years? tackles, tip tackles, and what we're seeing now is not the same. Eight, eight or nine years ago, it was. Yeah. So, 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 back when when we were youngsters, that was a good something tackle. that yeah, a good tackle. But it, it's easily it's it, it's a it's an actual choice because because the way they they set out the rule was if you lift the legs. And, and then drive the person in. So there's almost two choices the player's making there to lift the legs and then drive the player into the floor. So, so you're seeing... So, so when someone does it, they've made a decision, at least one, probably two decisions. Whereas something like the Yules's tackle, it's just, it's just circumstances. He's trying to tackle. It was the first... And, sorry, Ben. It was like the first 60 seconds of a game it probably just happened quicker than he anticipated. Exactly. So, so he's not made any kind of choice there. It's just happened to him. Whereas the, the tip tackle, which they've successfully got rid of, the dump tackle is what we're really talking about, isn't it? That, yeah. that was it's it's easy to spot and it's easy to see that the player and it's has really do it. It's really easy to avoid. Yes. Really yeah, easy. Exactly. Because, it, yeah. because, like you just said, it's a choice. Charlie Yules, as also described earlier in the podcast, did not choose to tackle James Ryan with his face. That wasn't a conscious decision. Just, yeah, and, that, and that's the difference. But and, and even, I don't even think the tackles, this, it, it, to, to this generation of players, sorry, but this generation of players, that might change, right? So as as the the these the younger the, the younger guys who are being coached now. And as they move through, it might be that when they reach a professional level, they find a way to to avoid doing to avoid doing that. But there will always be a situation where you've got a six foot five bloke, and it wasn't yours and Ryan, but you will have a six foot five bloke trying to tackle a five foot four scrum half. What happens then? Like it's it, actual physics. Like it's it's almost physically impossible for that situation to not end in anything other than disaster sometimes and it's just yeah I don't know I don't know, it's I don't know. it feels broken by if, beyond all repair moment yeah I, I, I genuinely you, feel it is have you guys seen any of the red cards from the premiership no uh, I haven't seen well, any I premiership the, I was at the Worcester game so you okay, Tom so Hendrickson's Hendrickson comes in at kind of what high chest height and bounces up into the head and ends up and Vilano, who is a, a, a massive guy. So he's actually pretty well. I'm just watching it now. Pretty well bent in the knees, bent at the waist. Vilano dips a bit into it and he's down rolling on the floor, holding it, holding his face, which like, and then carries on playing. No, he um, went he went oh, off. did he? Did he go off? Yeah. Okay. He, he um, went off of an HIA. Uh, the Curtis Rona one for London Irish. He is, again, upper chest height, and Visa drops into the tackle. Now, I'm not saying I... I 
we're, we're in this situation where things that aren't necessarily bad technique end up being red cards and ruining games. I, I totally agree with that point. You could look at both of those and you can certainly mitigate them towards a, a yellow if you were that way inclined. But that's not everything gets mitigated up or gets failed to, to be mitigated if there's any any benefit of the doubt. And that's where it's kind of gone a bit wrong. Like, as I say, my general feeling is if we can do stuff to avoid head, head collisions, it's a good thing. But I, I don't think the balance is necessarily right at the moment. Um, and in that regard, I, v- I very much agree with you. But we've talked about this too many times, as, as Doug says. What What is the solution? Um, because at the moment, it's all being driven in the in the wrong direction. Um, and is it, now that rabbit's out of the hat, is it ever going to go back yeah. in it? I don't so, know that it someone's is. Opened, someone's opened Pandora's box and that's the end. Um, where were the other red cards? Does anyone know? Uh, no, I don't. And I, I don't remember. really want to talk about it anymore. Uh, no, I don't. So, um, Premiership Road, Doug, you just mentioned you were at Worcester. I don't really want to get into the Premiership too much, um, but that was a big win for Worcester at home to Exeter. Um, hearing a lot of good things about Finn Smith. Did you see, see anything in him? I think he's real. I think he's the real deal. I, um, he, he's probably not going to be an England player just because of the nature of the tens we've got. You know, Farrell's got probably another World Cup cycle, and and then we've got Marcus Smith and uh, whoever else, but. I think he's a, he's going to be a, a, a real, real good player. Um, and I think his future probably lies away from Worcester. So there's that. Ideal. Yeah. Um, and after last week's part, you may have remembered from last week's podcast, I talked about a, like a premiership boycott. And I went yeah. and found some, um, I went and found some fixtures on uh, on last Tuesday morning, I tweeted them out, and on the I think it's the second, the weekend of the second of of April, um, there's a full slate on that Saturday of of Premiership fixtures. There's four Premiership fixtures, and I think that if you're able to do so, go and watch any other game. If you're a Premiership rugby fan and you have any sort of empathy to any other club across the country and you want to make a bit of a stand then go and watch something different that weekend don't go to that premiership that premiership match go and watch something different and you know that that weekend saturday the 2nd of april is exeter at home to bath gloucester at home to uh, wasps saints at home to bristol and worcester at home to newcastle all three o'clock kickoffs in the championship it's pirates Hill. Ealing, Richmond, London, Scottish, Bedford, Nottingham, Doncaster. Then you've got uh, a load of um, National One North fixtures um, and and just loads of fixtures where you could get to a local club. Like if you're in Leicester, go and watch Leicester Lions versus Old Albanians. Why not? Go and do it. If you're in uh, Exeter, instead of going to watch... um, Exeter versus Bath. Go and watch Taunton against Chinna. Do something different. If you're going to watch Sale, go and watch Sale FC versus Cinderford. All we're asking is do something different. Because the only way the championship and rugby is going to, to show any sort of solidarity with any of these clubs is to vote with their feet. 
So if you'd ordinarily go to a premiership match and you listen to this, seriously consider going elsewhere. Saturday, the 2nd of April, premiership boycott day. Um, I might come up with a clever hashtag, but it's doubtful. So uh, yeah, that, that's what I'd suggest. Anyway, giving you some options, go and have a look. Uh, any other business, uh, Phil, anything from you this week? Uh, yeah, so as I alluded to earlier, um, I had a little bit of a friendly poker match on Friday night. Um, and it it all ended up on a bit of a sour note, unfortunately. Um, so there were, yeah, I can't remember what there was, six or seven of us um, went out for a curry, went back to someone's house playing poker. We'd agreed at the start that the top three, it would be split 60, 30, 10% um, when you get towards the end got to about two o'clock in the morning and everybody had kind of had enough and was, was giving up. Um, and then people started getting funny about how much money they were due out of, out of the money that was in there. And we're talking about the difference between, so Matt, Matt Burbage won, and I think he probably went home with 80, 90 quid. But so we're talking about the difference between a tenner, whether you should, should get it or not um, between what's supposed to be a bunch of mates. And I just, yeah, I, I have no time for that at all. Um, just, yeah, enjoy your evening. If you get some money out of it, great. If you don't, you don't. Um, it's not there to as a, as a money-making exercise. It's not our, our main source of income. Just take what you're given and be happy and smile and move on and don't start arguing with friends over a tenner. Poker is so shit as well. Yeah. <laughs> It's just really shit. Well, I just think it's uh, you know high time we started protecting these people from themselves and their gambling problems. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely stuff. Doug, any other business from you? Uh, I went to watch Batman today. Fuck me, I didn't. Just as well, I thought we couldn't get any more boring than poker. Talking about um, fucking Batman. It was very good. I thought. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for that. Ben? <laughs> um, Last Kingdoms on Netflix, the final series. That's a good show about Vikings and Saxons and that. It's really good. Nobody cared if they got concussions. <laughs> well, they wore big metal hats with horns on, didn't they? Vikings. No horns. Well, if anyone ever needed saving from themselves, it was Batman. But he had Robin for that, didn't he? No, not in this one, mate. I just think he needs to chill out a bit. Oh, Batman. I, bit, yeah. intense, bit intense. Bit intense, mate. Yeah, quite intense. Um, there's a Nirvana song in it called Underneath the Bridge. Um, don't know if you know that one, but it's like used quite a lot. And if if you know that song, that's the tone of the film for three hours. <laughs> I don't know the song. Um, all I it's can because think you're of a is... fucking heathen, Russ. You've got there's more culture in a bag of Watsits. <laughs> In a pot of yogurt, <laughs> where there ironically is a large amount of culture. It's so, uh, um, something in the way, isn't it? Something in the way. That's it. So yeah. Under the yeah. bridge. Something in the under, way. I was just thinking under the bridge. Yeah. Is, sorry, is, no. Is it's, uh, it's one of the lines in it, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Something in the way. Uh, that is. It's that. That's the tone of the entire three hours. You fucked it, mate. Let it go. Yeah. All right. Um. As a as a golfer, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking about in the same talk... way that feels under nines are the same as rug, professional rugby. Yeah, player. talking. So anyway, I I I I've been there to frequent a golf course. I find I find professional golfers whinging about playing in twenty mile an hour worth of wind. Yeah. Very very ironic, considering like you know playing on a on a cliff top in 40 mile hour winds most weekends. Um, yeah. Makes me feel like I could play on the mm. European tour or the DP world tour as it's called now. Um, also, I wonder how good those fucking guys would be if they didn't have somebody looking for their ball all the time. Um, if I could find somebody to, to watch every single one of my shots and uh, make sure I didn't lose a ball, I'd probably be a lot better too. Well, it's funny you should say that because Cam Smith uh, on the 15th has just bananaed one so far into the trees. It just so happened they just popped up on a bit of pine straw and there was like 80 cameras there. Uh, and he managed to find it while leading the tournament. And then Paul Casey bombed his drive down and it landed in a divot and had to play it from the middle of the fairway from... From inside like, a pitch mark. Inside a pitch mark, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Golf, Golf. shit game. Right. Anyway, we've been going on for for quite some considerable period of time. Uh, for those, one of the most um, eggy podcasts we've ever done. Yeah, we've we were pretty eggy. Well, I mean, we've I've done some egg as well, haven't we? I've ranted a lot. Um, it's a good job we're part of the the sports podcast network, so we can uh, we can get our remuneration for this as well. <laughs> so uh, you can take that to uh, your next poker match. You can take that to the bank. Um, not that obviously we do this for any sort of money um but yeah. thank god yeah. we're we're, te- we're technically not worth insuring <laughs> <laughs> all That's i will say come here. all the i will say yeah. all i will say to anyone uh that gets to this uh level of the podcast to this minute of the podcast is um those who hello know, both of you hello both of you but also <laughs> those that. of you those of you that know since we joined the, the sports social sports podcast network um nine pence that's all i'm saying <laughs> nine pence uh, go away, go away. Even buy a chomp <laughs> cost, cost the living crisis. i mean you can't even you can't even buy a third of a chomp now for nine p i wouldn't have thought really are they not 10p anymore no are they fuck <laughs> Fucking hell. Soon sort of that, Boris, didn't he? Motherfucker. Yeah. Fucking anyway. first thing he went after, weren't it? <laughs> Chomps. <laughs> <laughs> Blame Vladimir for that. Right. <laughs> anyway, go well. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.